Welcome to a new episode of Becoming a Post-Growth Planner, Challenges and Obstacles to Changing Roles and Practices. My name is Christian Lamke and I'm Assistant Professor in Sustainable Transformation and Regional Planning at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. And today my guest is Jin Chu. Thank you, Christian, um, for inviting me to this podcast. Uh, my name is Jin and I'm Professor in Urban and Regional Planning in Norwegian University of Life Sciences. So I'm an urban planning researcher and do research about sustainable urban development and planning. Also uses poster girls um, as a kind of um, framework or analytical normative framework. Jin, you were among the first, I would say, in Europe to think about degrowth, post-growth um, already more than a decade ago when you entered the debates early from the directions of sustainable housing in particular. How would you say from today's perspective, did this research shape, shape your thinking about post-growth and which maybe growth-based problems were most obvious? I entered into the post-growth debates um, back to the 2009 and 10. It was actually the first or second degrowth conferences that was held. And uh, by that time, I uh, wrote my PhD thesis about sustainable housing development. Actually, my engagement with post-growth debates at that time was not uh, driven by degrowth or post-growth debates themselves, but was actually driven by the findings of my research. I had an open question about how we can achieve environmental sustainable housing development. And then my findings of both theoretical inquiries and empirical case studies show that if we continue to build more and more, and if per capita flow area is increasing all the time, it is impossible to decouple these girls from all types of environmental consequences. And here I talk about environmental consequences that includes encroachment on land, energy, resource consumption, so on. So this finding, they leads me to the conclusion that we have to address growth as the solution to environmental problems. So therefore, degrowth is kind of conclusion of my studies. The most growth-based um, problems in housing sector is that you basically cannot achieve long-term environmental sustainable development if we continue to build. Uh, no matter how eco-efficiently or resource-efficiently they were built. So you could say that my first engagement with post-girls is a bit narrow, that it's um, focused on the level and volume of consumption in the housing sector. But later on, I began to draw non-post-girls in a more systematic way and also use it to challenge the paradigm of housing planning and housing development. Mm. And there, the growth-based problems I found are more about um, the neoliberalization, marketization, and also financialization of the housing system, the tenure structure, um, and the conceptualization of sustainable development in housing planning, the basic premises and the goals of housing development. And uh, so it's therefore, beyond the consumption, um, but more about the system of uh, the housing sector. 
Hmm. Yeah, Jin, it's quite fascinating how you ended up with maybe post-growth, degrowth as a conclusion already more than 10 years ago, how you jumped into core dimensions of planning, how we use land, how we develop floor spaces, and how our consumption of those relates also to the resources that we use to produce and um, to reproduce and to maintain them. If we move a bit further to today, so how would you see and use post-growth as a lens to understand sustainable housing today in Europe, in today's European mm. situations where we still talk a lot or even more talk about housing crisis, problems of housing affordability, housing shortages and all these terms that are around. I think in post-growth debates, sustainable housing, it's not a new topic. It has been debated um, by degrowth scholars for many years. Um, I find that in the mainstream, Degrowth <laughs> housing studies, there is a predominant focus on housing projects. Um, and these housing projects were considered to be able to take care of both environmental concerns, but at the same time can provide equal access and are more inclusive and more uh, and also create more social contact and caring. Um, however, I think my approach to sustainable housing with post-girls as the lens is rather different. Um, when I think when we talk about new housing projects, which are often the focus of housing or degrowth housing studies, we often forget to ask this fundamental question, do we really need to build these projects? Mm. Um, so inside, I focus on a higher geographic scale or the housing sector development as a whole. So I believe that when, um, when we apply post-growth values um, to the higher geographic skills, it generates different implications and meanings for housing development from those of a housing project. So therefore my premise for understanding degrowth housing is that first we should meet the environmental sustainability. And that would primarily mean a cap on housing building, at least in per capita terms. Um, and also I would argue that uh, maybe in many cities in, in Europe, per capita housing consumption is already high enough. And so with that as the premise, um, we also need to quite strong the uh, redistribution schemes in order to safeguard uh, the social goals like equity, inclusiveness, and accessibility. So, and how we achieve this um, would require uh, quite dramatic changes in how we operate the housing system in terms of supply distribution and use, also land use strategies, housing policies, uh, tax systems, and uh, also um, more generally, the culture. Um, so I think the biggest difference that post-growth offers to understand sustainable housing is that we have to redistribute within limits. Mm. I think that's the key message. So I think very often the limits part was forgotten <laughs> when we're talking about uh, yeah, degrowth housing. Quite fascinating because in, in practice and in planning, including our tools, instruments, legislation, it is a lot about dealing with limited available land, limited resources, 
Um, and on the other side, uh, you explain that it's still a problem that it's more and more, um, which means even that maybe some fundamental values need to change in how we how we see planning. Which substantive values from post-growth degrowth are crucial for planning? I think it's quite uh, important, super important to to talk about also to revitalize these substantive values. Um, in planning, which has been overshadowed mm -hmm. to some extent by the focus on procedural values in the past decades. And I think inspired by post-girls, the most important values to be um, secured in planning are first, I think, respect to nature. Mm -hmm. um, here, I think it's not, it's particularly the recognition of affinity mm -hmm. um, in the means that we can't exceed the planet limits and we therefore need to downscale. That's the very different message given by host girls compared to mainstream green girls sustainability. Mm. Um, so this fundamentally challenges the dominant planning practices today, which are always geared for, for growth, prepared for growth and are also dependent on a growth um, mechanisms. When we make plans, we should give give a prominence, a priority to the ecology over the so mm. social and the economic. But now I think the existing planning systems, they are doing the opposite way. They give predominance to the economic over the other mm. dimension. And another important value, I think, is about justice. Um, this is not new either to planning. Um, this is a very traditional value of planning, even though justice has been uh, interpreted in many different ways. Um, if we talk about justice from a post-girls perspective, I think it's not only about just the process, but also just the outcomes. And we should also extend the just concept to other species, to generations after us, and to people living in distance. So more particularly, I think then planning therefore should try to try to avoid the failures in the satisfaction of basic needs and also um, think of a ceiling on inequality. That means we, we should try to actually not allow um, an increase in the gap in terms of yeah. um, different uh, yeah mm. yeah it's quite I, interesting that you know mentioned respect for nature twice uh, where some planners might say we do have many tools to safeguard that environmental impact assessment uh, there are many criteria how to evaluate sustainability evaluate ecological impacts uh, how would you say does uh, respect for nature differ from these existing tools mm -hmm. instruments that are very much the core of many practices right now yeah maybe to be more precise it should uh, um to be more accurate it should be respected to limits <laughs> because the respect to nature as you said has already been taken into account in planning and the sustainability concerns have already been there since 1980s in the planning discipline mm -hmm. and i think uh, but most of the um the environmental concerns in planning are very much based on 
uh, you coordinate the understanding. Um, we have many tools or many concepts to secure the environmental concerns, but very often we use these tools, for example, the cost-benefit analysis tools. They also take into account the cost of environmental pollution and the results and uh, the nature. But their way to protect the nature is actually to put values on the nature, which I think is fundamentally flaw. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not the inherent value of nature that is protected. So I wouldn't say that that is the real respect to nature. Um, yeah, and also in decision making processes, I think these methods are often very um, biased, and the the owner um, mm. estimate the the real values of nature. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we now touch upon several planning instruments. Uh, I think you mentioned cost benefit analysis, putting monetary value on nature uh, is not a post growth way forward. Do you see other ways how we could adapt, change, or invent new instruments or tools to, let's say, develop more in a post-growth way? Hmm. I think uh, we also need, uh, probably, I think the most straightforward way is to cap, in, to cap on land use, on consumption, on, vol on traffic volume, on, uh, housing on housing consumption. That's a very straightforward way. Um, but I say, I think it's not a popular <laughs> in current uh, political landscape and the mainstream society. There are some uh, analysis uh, um, or environmental impact uh, analysis that is not based on, on the monetary value of nature, but talking about the qualitative values of nature. We now already look a bit further towards the future. Uh, the future, looking into the future also means to think about some advice as you have a lot of experience in planning research, housing research, sustainability uh, for already a long time. Do you have advice that you g can give a planning researcher today to use post-growth thinking in research? Are there mm -hmm. major or which, which major gaps do you see and how could then a post-growth perspective enrich? Um, I think there are many different ways to engage with post-growth thinking as um, planning researchers. Um, maybe first, uh, I think researchers can use post-growth as a kind of value framework and a theoretical concept to critically analyze existing planning practices to scrutinize, examine the planning series, to understand the gaps perhaps in the planning series and the shortcomings and limitations in planning practices. And there I say it's, um, it's quite uh, also useful if, if researchers can also combine with other urban theories to better understand how the the structural economic systems, the political systems, shape and reproduce um, our urban and spatial development and the mainstream ideologies in planning. Um, so I think this engagement will help us to, to be more aware of the social and the ecological uh, implications uh, of the growth paradigm. And another way to engage with post-growth, I think, is to, to use it as a strategic tool 
to repoliticize the discussion about futures, mm -hmm. um, uh, people would understand post-girls society and post-girls develop urban development quite differently. So post-girls with all this diverse debates, uh, with these different schools of thoughts and dis disciplinary traditions, they provide a very fruitful point of departure for repoliticizing the choice of futures. Mm. Um, and also another way to engage is to say post-girls as a kind of political program mm. where planning can be a transformative force driving the development towards the future. So there, I think the research can address um, how planning can dismantle the dominant system, alter the development trajectories, what, what in the system hinders the potential of planning to be more transformative and what needs to be changed in the in the in the planning system, including the legal foundations, the methods, instruments, um, like what you asked the, uh, earlier, that what kind of instruments mm -hmm. that we need to better respect the nature, and also the studies or research can focus on on the agency side of planners. What are the mindsets, the skills, and competencies of planners need to be developed uh, in order to drive political changes. Um, and lastly, I say that I think planners can also, or scholars especially, can engage post-growth critically and um, to bring in, to bring the spatial concerns into post-growth imaginaries. Um, as I framed it in one article, that, it, that is to spatialize degrowth. Mm -hmm. And uh, here, I think there are many gaps that we can try to fill in. The lack of discussion on the skills, the spatial skills, what are the Im implications of post-growth for development, spatial development at different skills that would be very different for a country, for the global, and then also for a city region or for a neighborhood. And what can be the conflicts and also emergencies between the skills when we yeah, apply the degrowth uh, uh, premises? Yeah, you have positioned the specific strength of planning as well to look beyond the specific housing project or other projects to look at the at the upper larger scales um, mm -hmm. and to keep also the the full impacts on other scales in mind. On the other side, that's challenging as planning has for a long time focused much more on projects, on um, on developing, in this, in, especially in an economic way, but also in just developing new land. What would you say, especially as we are both in a research university environment, uh, what is also the responsibility or task or opportunity of research to to then point to the problems and to um, to use post-growth to enable a better way to deal uh, with the available resources and to keep an eye on, ensure that we are within limits. Yeah, um, I think maybe we um, who work in the university has some advantages in terms of promoting post-growth and make uh, people aware of the the, the problems of the growth in society, and we have more freedom to drive or to operate research in this direction. Um, 
and also I think it's also very um, we also have the chance actually to apply the post girls research um, into practices or to at least to try to influence practices. Um, here I, I would like to mention my own research project now which is about second home planning and there we collaborate a lot with different partners from municipalities but also counties so they are the uh, real planner practitioners in the in the real world and uh, we try to bring in opposed to girls thinking uh, to the to the second home development so we engage them to discuss this scenario this future the possibilities and we also try to engage them to say what would be the implications for them if they apply this post girls future in their own context so i think that's also one way to 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 help to influence the practice um in, in planning. Out of curiosity, can second homes be post-growth in the no Norwegian context or <laughs> is that a contradiction in itself? Yes, it has been very much debated uh, in these days because in the past, uh, I would say, three, four decades, the second homes have been increased a lot in Norway, um, in the, uh, in the, especially in the natural areas. So, um, so since the last uh, three two three years many municipalities have decided to uh, slow down the growth because the local protests um, and people on, do not want to have more cabins developed in their um, in in the in the municipalities so that has a consequence that uh, some new development areas were taken out from the plants the land use plans. Um, so that's there for the moment that in Norway, at least in Norway, we discuss what would be the future of second home development. So in this project, we actually look at different um, possible futures. One is post-growth. Um, that means that we will not uh, invest it or we will not uh, invest in more um, building of second homes. But we also have other futures like uh, the more um, sharing economy or the sharing concept in cabin development. That also means we don't build more, but we share the existing cabins. Um, so so there, there can be um, different ways. And also at the local level, already some municipalities decide not to build more. So it's not impossible <laughs> to... Um, to apply a deeper uh, uh, future, um, probably not at the national scale, but um, at the municipal scale, that is possible. Thank you. We now use both terms, degrowth and post-growth. Do you mm -hmm. just briefly? Do you recognize the difference? How would you describe that beyond maybe language issues of also translating these concepts into different national languages? Mm. In my early research, uh, I used degrowth also because there were not so many choices at that time. Um, but now I use more often post-growth and also prefer to use that. Um, I think the difference is maybe just purely literally. It's that I feel that 
postgirls it gives more nuanced and a bit richer associations and it's more open because it first indicates very clearly that the girls paradigm is over this is not this message is not given by the term of the girls um and also post girls can mean that we move to a new era where growth is not plausible or possible um but at the least it's at the same time it's not certain uh which way which direction mm -hmm. we are taking. so i think particularly this openness uh, is more inviting for debates and participation and also, I think degrowth maybe is it may determined in terms of where we will land. Um, and also, the English words and many words that start with post, so it's easier to grasp, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so for the sake of communication, it might be easier to use postgrowth. But I think degrowth does not necessarily means that it's narrow or it's just the one future. Um, so it's just purely, literally. Thank you. So then we are right into the debates, how to bring forward post-growth and planning towards the future. And to do that, as usual in this podcast, as a final question, I would ask you to finish the sentence for us. Post-growth planning is. I have a definition in one of my articles about post-growth planning and I will use that definition. Um, I think post-growth planning counters the hegemony of economic growth and facilitates a downscaling of um, physical development that enhances ecologic conditions, satisfies basic needs and secure justice at the local and global level in the short and long term. Thank you, Jin. Thanks for sharing your insights into now, almost 15 years of working around sustainable housing, degrowth and post-growth and all your experience along the way, especially running right into the core of planning on how we use land, how we use uh, spaces, how we develop our urban and rural places. So many thanks for sharing that with us today, Jin. Thank you, Christian. I'm very happy to contribute to this podcast.